Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. So hello everyone, we are today again on the show of Better Tech and uh, today our guest is Rob Kratzer. Uh, he's a CTO of Sindio and uh, have tremendous amount of experience in leading technology companies, uh, building technical teams and so on. So we are going to hear about his story and 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 interesting stuff on how to lead teams and build various teams. So, so Rob, uh, thank you very much for being on our show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, so let's start with uh, understanding uh, a little bit about yourself, your background and what you're doing these days. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm the chief technology officer for Syndio Solutions. We are a workplace equity software platform. Yeah, I got about 25 years of experience in the technology industry. Um, the last five or six years, I've been focused on workplace equity. The landscape has changed for employees and enterprise companies as they look to attract and retain the best talent. You know, I uh, I started out actually in my early days in uh, my very first role was uh, financial software. And uh, what I discovered in the financial services industry is that um, it wasn't it wasn't the software engineering culture that I anticipated when I was moving into a professional world. And so I quickly moved over to agency uh, and I worked in an early agency back in the mid 90s. And the opportunity there was to work on lots of different interesting um, projects and for lots of different brands and companies that were first learning how to leverage the web. So it was those early days of how, you know, the internet was pretty new to business and to brands and how are they starting to use it? And so um, I got the opportunity to try a lot of different things, work with a lot of different companies. And I quickly moved into um, a leadership role, working with companies. I had sort of the unique ability to kind of bridge the gap of taking the the technology and turning that into something that the, the, customers and our clients could understand. And so I got put into these leadership roles and I found that my passion was um, being kind of in in the heat and the fire of the intensity of how are we going to bring these new things to market? And so I quickly found myself moving into startups. Um, Only took me a couple of years to start, you know, to join a startup. I went to an incubator type startup first, um, which was, was similar. We were developing our own product while we were also using our skills and expertise to help other companies bring their, you know, their web-based technologies to life. Um, and so I had a bit of a run um, moving through startups. My MO kind of became coming into startups at this early stage where they were getting some traction. They had a first rev of their product and they needed to learn how to scale. And so um, I was bringing my technical expertise um, but, but that evolved into what I would say were really team and leadership um, uh, skills, which is, you know, you don't have to have the answers to all the problems, but if you can build talented, smart teams, you can solve any problems. So I think of my first, my first learning how to scale was technical. The second was how do you start to scale, um, effective, engaged, motivated engineering teams. And so I started, I had a couple of experiences bringing teams from five people to 60, 70, 80 people. Um, And then the kind of third level of scale, and this is where I'd say I moved from really kind of my director level roles to CTO roles was really, well, how do you bring all of this to bear to solve business problems or end user problems, right? And so that's, that's kind of the evolution, um, you know, of moving through kind of that, that leadership pace. So so what was it? uh, I mean, how was it changed from moving from uh, services companies uh, or agencies 
to product companies and kind of uh, what are the pros and cons of uh, each each side of the uh, side of the divide yeah i mean i found my passion is for product right i'm a person who thoroughly loves seeing the evolution of a product and a team and the business impact we're having and getting to stick with that and continue to grow and evolve and you know on the services side you get to try many different things and you get to see the different business problems and the different customer problems and the way they're trying to approach those. And you get to use your field of experience to, to come up with unique solutions for those individuals and you ship it and you get to move on to the next thing. So it's a great way to get a lot of experience and it's a great way to kind of exercise those problem solving skills and learning how to take your previous experiences and bring them to bear on, on new problems, constantly changing problems. What I found is that, um, I like building relationships. I like building those trust relationships. I like building them with my teams. I like building them with my peers, with my leadership, and I like building them with our customers. And so I found that I just, I'm just happier in a place where I can keep growing something and watch the world change around it and continue. And it's the same kind of problem solving skills where you're constantly adapting to changing world, changing market, changing business problems, but you're doing it in a way where you're you're watching that one thing grow from a small seed to something very very large. So. Understood. So I mean, um, it would be interesting to understand. I mean, you had been uh, as in a CTO roles at many different companies, and I mean in a leadership roles. So in terms of being a technical leader at a services company versus a technical leader at let's say small medium enterprise. Uh, which is maybe in an insurance domain or in some other domain, but using tech to getting ahead. And then being a CTO of a tech tech product company, what are the different challenges in each of these uh, roles? I mean, uh, let's say VP of professional services of a services company versus a CIO in a SME versus a CTO of a tech startup. Uh, what are the challenges and the kind of pain points and 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 uh, in each of in each of these three uh, buckets? As, as yeah. <clears throat> well, when you're when you're in a services company, your your technology choices for one are are very much catered to your customers and your clients, right? So you really need to build a strong team of generalists, and you need to build an environment and an organizational structure where people where you can move resources around, where you can move engineers around, right? Where you can ask pick somebody up and say, okay, now you need to move to this other project and use a different set of technologies, right? So your hiring is, is a bit different. The kinds of engineers you're looking for is a bit different, both in their skill set, the broadness and the generalness, um, as well as um, their, the, their willingness and interest to be able to move around from project to project, right? So and and you and you're gonna have long-term projects and you're gonna have short-term projects. So you've got different skills, different personalities um to to manage that right whereas um for a product company you know you're building again you're building long-term relationships long-term teams you're trying to move away from a notion of pooled resources and the ability to move people around very quickly to helping people stay very engaged and and with a particular problem set and see the impact over time right so again it's kind of that same transition i described for myself where um you know what i found is in early stage companies, you move very, very quickly because the distance from an idea 
to code is very, very short, right? You're, you're writing yeah. code, like you're prototyping yeah. and you're sitting next to your founder or your product manager and you can just proof of concept everything out. It's about speed to market. You assume you'll be the person to maintain and rewrite all of that code. Every time you know you need to solve a problem, you're going to be the one to go find the bugs or, or iterate on it or refactor it. And then what happens as you evolve and the teams get larger and you start to feel like pooled resources again, right? You start to get more separated from the business impact because you're being tasked around. And so there's an opportunity as you scale your team to get back, to get to break it up and reorganize it in a way that gets people closer to that business impact. And so that you can you can get that that engagement and engagement equals velocity and excited engineers and a happy team. Okay. Okay. And 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 in terms of a CIO, is it closer to more of a product CTO or uh, more of a services, VP of professional services? Yeah, I mean, CIOs, you know, you're thinking about a different set of problems, of course, right? You're focused on um, on security and compliance and a, and, and a very different, you know, um, set of, of goals usually, right? Whereas in, in client services, it's about, you know, building it's about building the thing building meeting the requirements right they're trying to solve a very particular business problem you're meeting requirements in the product world you're innovating you're potentially solving problems for customers in ways they didn't ask for right and you're you're always asking what are you really trying to solve because you're trying to innovate and you're trying to solve problems in new ways and bring technology to bear on 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 old problems that they hadn't considered could be done faster better right or in improve or, or more intelligently in the cio world it's very, you're very focused on, is the information secure? Is the information moving where it needs to be? You're, you're blocking, you're, you're an efficiency opportunity by moving data around and making sure people are, are focused on the right things. Um, of course, that security component, incredibly important. Okay. And while building these engineering teams over the years, I mean, uh, retention of uh, engineering resources is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. And uh Obviously, many engineers want to work for a mission. Some just want to work for money. Some just want to work for professional growth or something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, what were some of your secret sauces or ingredients or your learnings over time to build teams, grow them, and retain uh, retain them long enough? Because, I mean, if you have uh, too much of a revolving door, it, was, it becomes very easy to create a, a continuous culture, making sure that everyone understands what you stand for and so on and so forth. To help, help us understand how have you been dealing with all these problems? Yeah, I mean, I think, you've, I think you're asking a, a great question, the right question around building teams, right? I, like, like anything else, um, hiring, um, ramping, um, attrition, turnover is all expensive and inefficient. Um, and so, of course, you want to build a talented team and you want to keep that team engaged and retained for a long time. Of course, they must be engaged. Um, if you're retaining folks who aren't engaged, you know, that's that's not helpful either. But for me, um, it comes down to a couple of things. So first of all, I have I have my personal opinions and philosophies on innovation and how innovation happens, right? And I think that you solve problems 
by um, giving everybody a voice, by making sure that everybody can be heard, right? So I think your great ideas come from the most surprising places. It's people from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, whether it's gender, racial, ethnicity, diversity, or it's just socioeconomic diversity, people who come from different perspectives look and solve problems differently. And so innovation happens by having by giving people the opportunity to, to have a voice. So the first thing is when you're when you're building a team, you want to create a culture where people can contribute and collaborate. I, I believe it's very important to have clearly defined roles and decision makers, but you need to make sure those decision makers aren't are, are, are empowering people to collaborate and have a voice. So giving people the opportunity to speak, the opportunity to be heard um, and, cre and, and, and creating that diverse environment creates teams where people feel empowered, trusted um, and happy and engaged, right? I think the second thing is um, tr building trust. So you have to build trust with your team. And that means your, your engineering team, whether you're managing down, across or up, you're always trying to build trust. And that means being as honest and direct as is possible, right? Of course, in business, there's not, you can't always share everything, right? But but if you give people context, remember every single person on your team is making countless decisions every single day, no matter what role they're in. Empower them to make the best decisions possible, right? So you do that by giving them context, by making sure they that every single person, every engineer, every QA engineer, every, you know, SRE, Everybody who's who may be hyper focused on the task in front of them understands the business context, the technology context, right? What are your current goals for your customers, for your company, and for your team, and for their individual role? If you empower them that way, they will they will feel trusted to make decisions. And so, I really believe you build trust, you build innovative environments, but you have clear roles, right? So you have a clear organizational structure, but you get people closest to the business impact. And people are going to be engaged in the in 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 the work they do, and so these these trust loops pay dividends over the course of time, over the course of the time at a particular company, over the course of 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 a career. You know, I tend to find a lot of the people that I've worked with in the past like to work with me again. That's a sign that I've built successful relationships with them. So, you know, that's that's the crux of it for me. No, that that that's wonderful, and think that all the CTOs or tech leadership I talk to they kind of uh, voice the same thing. I mean, the, you have to build trust, give people the liberty to innovate and then uh, let them do that and give them voice. And that will actually keep them engaged and engage people, you can retain them for, for quite a long, long bit of time. Okay. Yes, people would like, I mean, it's not just the money, people would like to do a meaningful work in an engaged way. I think that is that is the key. So that 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 kind of brings us to I mean your current company, Sindio, is is a lot into I, I was looking at I was looking at the platform. It's a lot a lot into diversity, equity, inclusion, and and all that stuff. So so to talk to us more about what brought you here and what uh, what does this platform uh, do? Yeah, absolutely. And and as as I think you you keyed in on, um, Sindio kind of embodies a lot of my philosophies about building engineering teams and building high functioning teams, right? It's about workplace equity. It's about treating people. It's about helping companies treat their people equitably in all the way, in all, through all the aspects of um, an employee's life cycle, right? So of course we started with pay. Pay equity was our first solution. Um, we, we integrate with the company's HRIS data and then we analyze that data. We understand what their pay policies are. We understand how to group people by, by what's called substantially similar work. 
Um, and then, and then we look for pay disparities or pay equity gaps that are attributable to things like gender, race, ethnicity, or any comparison that's that's relevant to the company. And of course, we control for all the legitimate factors of pay. And so this was our flagship, right? Because everything starts with pay. That is how people, um, uh, uh, how companies represent how they value their employees. And there's been a lot of research done to show that that employees who believe that they're being treated fairly and equitably and being paid for the work that they do are happier and more engaged than, than employees who may think that they're getting paid more than somebody else, right? Now, of course, there's exceptions to all of these rules, right? But if you want to build workplaces where your teams are engaged, where they have trust with their leadership, um, you need you need to think about these things. And the world has changed, of course, right? When I started, I started the company five years ago. Um, there was sweeping new compliance and legislation happening across the country, and so it was it, it was it was starting from the compliance angle. But you could see the world was changing, right? That there was you know we were seeing pushes into pay transparency, you know, as early as as that time frame, right? You knew that the sort of social pressures on on leadership on executives on boards right ESG as a, a, a major factor in where and how companies were gonna gonna approach investors and how investors were going to approach companies um, was shifting so we've moved from a world of pure compliance to a world of um, you have to respond to employees needs employees have more power than they ever had before so as they should right so so how do you build that trust? Um, how do you engage your employees? And I think it's by by showing a commitment to workplace equity. So we've moved from the from we've moved beyond just pay, right? So the plan had always been to to tackle all of workplace equity, starting with pay. And now we're moving into what we call opportunity equity, right? So you've got it, pay equity is equal pay for equal work. If you were to solve all of your your pay equity gaps and challenges, and look at your median pay, we'd still see that, um, I'll use gender, for example, women are, are still on, on the median making less than men because they're not filling those higher paying positions. So why is that? And so companies are trying to solve this. The challenge is understanding what you look like, what you could like, look like, and, and, then and then having the tools to actually solve those problems. So fundamental to our platform is understanding the why. Why does your organization look the way it is? Why do you have pay equity gaps or pay disparities? No company is perfect, right? You're going to, every, you know, we're all going to um, encounter these things. But the question is, once you understand the root cause, then you can start to tackle these systemic problems and then you can prevent them from happening in the future. And that's what our platform helps our customers do. Yeah. And I'm assuming it's generally for relatively kind of sizable companies because only then you can find data and, and can find these disparity kind of a thing. So, I mean, any particular threshold beyond which this becomes a kind of a real, kind of it has a real use and can really help companies? Yeah, so you're right. It's based on statistical models, which of course are uh, uh, function better with larger data sets. Yeah. Um, we typically service companies that are a thousand employees up to the largest companies in the world from a headcount perspective. Um, you know, supporting, you know, millions of customers per organization where, where necessary. Um, we do have solutions that work for smaller teams and smaller groups. Of course, when you divide your people up into groups, some organizations have many small groups and some have fewer large groups and some have, and there's, there's every mix in between. So we do have, have tools and statistical tools for analyzing smaller groups. Um, but we do focus more on that, that thousand to the largest companies. 
Okay, and how how this product is, I mean, coming along, how the traction is going. I, I was looking at LinkedIn. I was looking at your loss funding was like Series C or something. Uh, so how how it's going coming along, and also uh, what's your take with the current uh, recessionary trends and uh, layoffs, uh, uh, layoff news in tech. Uh, is there an equity or equitable stuff and even in layoffs or what? I mean, talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, things are going very well for our company. As, as you mentioned, we raised our, our Series C most recently. Um, we are over, we have more than 200 customers, 10% of the Fortune 100. Um, our, our growth path has been has been appropriate for for a company at our stage given um of course how the market has shifted um you know my take on um and we and we've grown we've grown by headcounts we've, we've scaled our engineering team and our technology quite a bit over the last eight, 18 months which has been um a super fun exciting uh, and all your team is kind of in-house remote or uh, how it's working out yeah so um all full-time on-staff employees with you know a couple of a couple of outside contractors for very specialized roles, um, where you know they didn't make sense to to make full time hires, but but spread, distributed um, distributed companies. So we gave up our offices at the beginning of the pandemic, as many did. We made a commitment to staying distributed because that's the time in which we were scaling, and the opportunity, of course, was to find talent wherever the talent was, rather than have to be focused on on centralized markets. Right. Um, and that's worked out really well for us. We've been able to build a really, a really talented um, engineering team, um, and remain distributed, right? And so, I've all of my teams have had some elements of remote workers, and so it's been interesting to take those learnings on how to be a good remote individual, or have a few remote teams, how to be a good team that manages having remote engineers and making them feel like they're part of that team. That's, that's challenging and requires intentionality and reapply that to the whole team is distributed, right? Basically a great equalizer, right? Nobody's left out of a conversation because they were remote when everybody else was sitting in the same room. You have to think about who's in the conversation, who should be in this conversation or what information do I have that other people need and who needs it, right? And making sure that you're being very intentional. So that's, that's been the the evolution that we've seen over the last couple of years, and it's it's sticking and working well for us. Um, and then and then the, the question about the market, right? So, you know, it, it's it's not this isn't this isn't sudden and new, right? I think we've been kind of spent a couple of quarters now down this path of of, of economic uncertainty. Um, what we found was um, companies are are. The, the companies are investing even more in retaining their top talent, right? Yep. So whether whether you are hiring in this environment, holding steady, hunkering down, or you're actually reducing your workforce, nothing is more important than the team that you have in front of you, right? Yeah. And so how do you retain how do you how do you retain those employees? And we find companies are investing more and more in their commitment to their existing teams, right? And so I continue to believe that that means showing a commitment to workplace equity. So I think it's an imperative. I don't think it's it's um, a discretionary um, choice that companies can make, right? I think their their investors, their boards, their shareholders continue to ask, how are we how are we committed? How showing our commitment to this? How are we solving these problems? How are we retaining our teams? 
And so we're we're as important, if not more important than than ever in this uncertain time. Wonderful. And and one last question as a CTO, how you look uh, uh, the tech teams evolving over the next few years within your company elsewhere? I mean, the technology, the tech teams are evolving and the workplace culture, how you think it's going to evolve in the next two, three years? I mean, there was a pre-COVID era, there was a COVID era, and we're kind of in a post-COVID era. So yeah. what will be your, what are your thoughts around it? I think everybody's still trying to figure it out. I think companies like us, smaller companies, yeah. certainly that have gone fully distributed, have embraced it. And, you know, it's a different set of challenges. Like I said, there's there's some things you can't replace or that organic type of innovation that can happen by overhearing conver conversations. You have to be very intentional about um, how you execute as a remote and distributed company. I think we're seeing other companies that are still trying to drive their employees back to the offices, right? They're spending a lot of money on those beautiful offices and they believe um, philosophically that their employees are more effective when they're, when they're physically there. I think they're gonna find um, that there's, there's either resistance or they're limiting themselves to certain pools of markets. So I think we're going to be in this hybrid state for a while. And I think it's going to oscillate. I think we're going to see companies trying to push their people to come back to offices. They're going to have to understand what that backlash is and what, how much of that they're willing to, to accept um, versus how much power employees have. I think, you know, we're seeing employers trying to take some of that control back and assert themselves. So um, but I think we're going to land in a mixed state. I think there's going to be yeah. some com companies that um, operate best with people in their offices and others that that figure it out and operate efficiently um, and 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 at high velocity um, from a distributed way. I think the immediate need um, is sort of a re a recentering on um, velocity versus quality if you will, yeah. right? I think what we're seeing is a lot of pressure from investors for, for companies at our stage, certainly a lot of pressure from investors to be, to be much better stewards of our cash, right? No longer can it be growth at all costs, right? But it has to be about yeah. efficiency. And so every single day we're making these choices about moving fast versus moving slow and focusing on quality, right? And so we've got to kind of recalibrate our... Um, how we think about that. What we've done at Cindio is we've actually split the organization up a little bit into what we call our core services team, which is focused on the go slow to speed others up, if you will, right? And our feature and application teams that are really product driven. The goal of those core services teams is to do the work of thinking about the level of scale within line of sight. I'm a big fan of not over-engineering too far out because you'll be inefficient. You'll be building things for things that never come to pass. So you want to build just far enough out from a scale perspective, and you want to deliver all of the tools and all of the best practices and clean, clean well-defined APIs to your application teams so they can focus on business problems and move as quickly as possible. So that's how we've tried to balance you know, velocity and quality. Yeah, and and you kind of uh, hinted towards that, but again, a follow-up question to my last question was that you must be meeting with investors and all that. The kind of sentiment that you see, I mean, one is that this is the new normal. This is not abnormal. This mm -hmm. is the normal. Last two, three years were like fantasy. And mm -hmm. uh, people are thinking that in six months that uh, things will be changed. Things will not change because it's normal and the fantasy was over. I mean, What's what's kind of uh, kind of uh, stuff that you're getting hearing from investors, VCs, etc. 
while while your interactions with them and your interaction with other CTOs and startups. Yeah. Well, you know, these things have come historically in waves, right? But I agree that each 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 wave that resets us to, you know, the a, a grounding, a new normal, um, kind of evens the scale a little bit, right? So yeah, I, I don't think we go back to those those frothy days. I think um it's important that you're building real value and solving real problems for your customers, right? I think again, a focus on um solving the problems you have line of sight on, you have to innovate. You really need to be continuing to think about where's the market moving and innovating, but you also need to be focusing on solving real real problems and not um, being overly academic about the problems you're solving, of course, right? So again, good steward of your resources and making thoughtful decisions. But you know, you're still seeing hot competition, right? The the economic environment doesn't change the pace of companies that are innovating and solving new problems. So you know, you you're you're the leader of the pack one day, you've innovated in, in a new space and you blink and there's competitors on your heels, right? So okay. you, you have to stay focused on innovation, on delivering. And so you've got to balance this growth mindset and conservation mindset. And of course, now we're, we feel the strong index towards um, conservation, but you know we're, we're trying to balance that and make sure we're investing the right amount in our product and engineering and in our innovation, staying out in front while being efficient in how we run our business. Right. No, I, I guess this is this is all what I'm hearing as well from others as well that uh, deliver value and the companies which are delivering values, they are getting valuations, they are getting money, but obviously it's not like free cash uh, dangling in front of you where you, whether you show, do anything or not, you just show growth at any yeah. cost and they'll give it to you. So yeah, yeah. that's very right. So Rob, uh, the trust of time and just to keep it short and interactive. So I think we have our uh, discussions now done. It, 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 it was it was great, really, really great talking to you. I think we have get to hear a lot of perspectives. So thank you very much for being with us today. And I hope to have you again sometime uh, in a few months to see how you have progressed from this position to the next position and, and, and take advantage of your new learnings. Great. Thank you very much, Omer. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to BetterTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.